Some of you may know the great preacher and writer Frederick Buechner. He's one of my favorite preachers. Well, he didn't grow up in a religious home. Instead, as he was growing up, he just picked up bits and pieces of religion, kind of here and there. But by and large, for the first about 25 years of his life, he had little or no interest in God or church. So, how did he get to be a famous preacher? Well, he moved to New York when he was a young man to become a writer, as many young people will do. Unfortunately, when he got there, he found out that he had absolutely nothing to write about. He just liked the idea of being a writer. So instead, he drifted around the city playing the part of an aspiring young writer, going to coffee shops and reading thick books and the like. But on the whole, he found none of the success that he had come there to seek. Buechner didn't go to the big city to look for God. He was looking for something else. But it's where God reached out and found him. He writes about it in his memoir, The Sacred Journey. It all sounds like a kind of farce, he writes, when I try to set it down. Part of the farce was that for the first time in my life that year in New York, I started to go to church regularly. And what was farcical about it was not that I went, but my reason for going, which was simply that on the block where I lived, there happened to be a church, and I had nothing at all better to do that day with my lonely Sunday. Yet, the bored Beekner who just happened to go to church one day to see what it was like, kept coming back, even though he wasn't really sure what it was all about. He wasn't really sure if he believed it. The minister was a man named George Buttrick. He was a very famous preacher of the day, Presbyterian. But Beekner said that it wasn't really his fame that drew him. He didn't care about the fame of a preacher. What drew me more, he wrote, was whatever it was that his sermons came from and whatever it was in me that they touched so deeply. And then there came one particular sermon with one particular phrase in it. Jesus Christ is king, Buttrick said, because again and again he is crowned in the hearts of the people that love him. And that inward coronation takes place, Buttrick said, among confession and tears and great laughter. It was the phrase, great laughter, that did it. Did whatever it was that I believe must have been hiddenly in the doing all in, of the years of my journey up till then. I love this line. It was not so much, Buechner says, that a door opened as that I suddenly found that a door had been open all along, which I had only just then stumbled upon. That did it for him. That set him on his path. I'll give you another story. Heather King is a Catholic writer in California. She sometimes contributes to NPR, you may have heard her, who in her memoir, Redeemed, says that she grew up not believing in much of anything. She spent the first 20 years of her adult life, she says, in an alcoholic fog, drifting in and out of empty relationships and altogether heading down a path that in her better moments she knew was self-destructive. She knew that she was wasting her talents Indeed, that she was wasting her entire life away on things that didn't bring her real happiness. But, 
Nevertheless, for 20 long years, she kept at it. Same thing. Her turning point, she writes, was not some great act of will or lightning bolt realization, but instead when she finally got to the point where she could acknowledge to herself that she was a sinner from the ground up, that she would sell her mother's own soul for another drink. Heather eventually admitted to herself, I'm broken and I need help. She writes that her conversion to faith and to a brand new way of life began not when she tried harder to change, not a New Year's resolution, but rather when she stopped resisting the God who was trying to change her. Why do I tell you these stories? Well, this is the season of epiphany, isn't it? And so I'm offering them to you as examples of what I think epiphanies are really like. What epiphanies are like in the Bible. We tend, I think, to think of epiphanies as something that we achieve after a long spiritual internal quest. Or maybe a great intellectual struggle. Take, for instance, you know this one probably. Elizabeth Gilbert's bestseller, Eat, Pray, Love. Which I think it's fair to say is perhaps less about the God to whom she prays in the title and a bit more about Elizabeth Gilbert's own search for enlightenment. Take another, another, another example. There's a famous German professor of theology named Hans Kuhn. Hans Kuhn, you've never heard of him. In my view, he did much the same thing. Kuhn wrote this two-volume theological memoir that amounted to, I kid you not, no fewer than 1,100 pages about himself. <laughs> and he called it, My Struggle for Freedom. And then he followed it up with a shorter version called, What I Believe. Because 1,100 pages wasn't enough. All three volumes, of course, feature the great man on the front cover. And he's kind of striding around, thinking great thoughts. The problem, I worry, is the same. I thought. Like Elizabeth Gilbert, the main character in the story isn't God, it's Hans. And Hans has great thoughts. My struggle for freedom, what I believe, my spiritual quest. We tend to think, I think, that that's how epiphanies happen. But the trouble is that at the, at the end of that kind of quest, what we wind up finding tends to be not God, but ourselves. We may think we found God, but the God that we find tends to bear a striking resemblance to us. According to the Bible, though, that is just the opposite of how true epiphanies work. Epiphanies in the Bible, strange as it might sound, characteristically do not come as the result of our own search. It's the opposite. Notice this in our readings today. The word of the Lord comes to young Samuel while he is asleep. In an age, the Bible says, when the word of the Lord was rare, when visions were not widespread. Samuel, the text says, did not yet know the Lord. 
He was a kid who didn't know the Lord, sleeping. And then when the word comes, he was confused by it. He didn't know what it meant. No fewer than three times he jumps up, I imagine him kind of out of a sleepy fog, and running over to Eli saying, here I am, you called? What's going on here is that Samuel didn't find the Lord. The Lord found him. It's the same with Nathaniel in our gospel for today. Philip told him that he'd found the one whom all the prophets foretold, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And I can just see the look on Nathaniel's face when he answers back. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know. You'd have to tell me what the equivalent would be around here. Maybe it's, can anything good come out of Waxahachie? Whatever it is, you get the idea. College station, I hear. <laughs> sure. Nathaniel seems like he's a fairly no-nonsense, skeptical kind of guy who's given to saying what's on his mind. We know people like that, whether it's polite or not. His exchange with Jesus is actually the closest thing that I can think of in the whole Bible to Jesus kind of revealing a sense of humor. Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, Jesus tells him. I think that Jesus is ribbing him a bit. I think that Jesus is saying here, here's a fellow who tells it like it is, knowing that Nathaniel is actually kind of rude and blunt. <laughs> knowing full well, too, that just a minute ago he'd been slinging mud at his own hometown. Jesus knew that. Nathaniel is suspicious. Where did you get to know me? He says. Or in other words, I can imagine him thinking, who are you to pretend like you know who I am? You don't know me. So Nathaniel is suspicious, skeptical, and insulting toward Jesus. That's what Nathaniel's like. As far as we can tell, he was the exact opposite of a man on a spiritual quest. He was minding his own business. And then his friend Philip came and bothered him about some guru he's turned up, another messiah, there had been others. And he basically says, are you kidding me, Philip? I wouldn't buy a used car in Nazareth. And you're telling me that A, you've actually found the messiah, and B, he's a Nazareth boy? But then Jesus said something, didn't he? That just stopped him in his tracks. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. It's hard to know, or at least I have a hard time knowing from the text, how exactly this spoke to Nathaniel. It reminds me of how somehow the phrase great laughter opened up something in Frederick Beekner's heart that he didn't know was there. It could be that it was something that was on Nathaniel's heart when he was standing under the fig tree that Jesus saw. Nathaniel all of a sudden knew it. You can imagine that. Whatever it is, we don't know. What we do know is his response. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Nathaniel, like Samuel, didn't find the Lord. The Lord found him. Heather King didn't find the Lord. And Frederick Beekner didn't find the Lord. 
St. Paul didn't find the Lord either. Remember him? He was going off to persecute more Christians and, and Jesus knocked him flat off of his horse. Neither did Abraham or Moses or Isaiah or St. Augustine. I could go on. Throughout the Bible and right through to today, it is the Lord who finds us. So I wonder. I wonder if you might be in the shoes of young Samuel today. The Lord is calling your name, but you keep on answering to other voices that take the place of God in your life. Or perhaps you might be a little more like Nathaniel. You might be skeptical and suspicious that the word of the Lord could come from someplace so humble, unlearned, as a poor carpenter from Nazareth, or from a 2,000-year-old book that's so far behind what we think we know today, or from somewhere as conventional as church on Sunday morning. Or maybe, or maybe you're a bit more interested sometimes in your own spiritual journey, or your own intellect, than you are in the God for whom you say you're searching. Maybe, maybe there's some part of you that doesn't want to be found. That's running away, running away from God and hiding under the blankets. Well, wherever you are, whoever you are today, I think the Bible's message for us is that we should stop running. We should just stop hiding. Because there's really no point there's just nowhere to run and hide from the God who knows us each better than we know ourselves and who is searching us out and calling us by name. May we all then learn, like young Samuel, to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening.